shelter. He covered you with his love. Through trials and blessings, he's been faithful and true. Look what God has done for you. Look what God has done for you. all like the same litter, man. <laughs> Hallelujah, man. Man, that'll help you right there. They're sitting there singing that thing, and, and uh, boy, I started getting all misty-eyed. You know, those words of those songs are for a purpose, you know. So just look what God's done for you, and think about that. Man, that was wonderful. Great job, guys. Keep at it. And we started our little ones singing as soon as they could learn to talk. The, the younger ones, and uh, took them to the rest home services. And take your kids to the rest home services, man. And uh, those old folks, love, they don't care if kids can sing or not. Just And they can't hear them half time anyway. Just take them there and get them used to being in front of people. And, and uh, never know. I, I've told before, I, I, we were in Germany, and it had been 1987, and I saw a, a VHS. Those were tapes back in the days, all right? You know how everybody got the little phone now and do it? Well, back then we were real men and you had a recorder. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? around, <laughs> man. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. The tapes back then are six times the size of your camera now, man. And I saw a VHS tape of the John Marshall family and uh, they had 10 kids and they all sang and played instruments. And I said, Lord, you give me a family of any size, I'd sure enjoy it if you'd allow them kids to sing. And man, did God answer that. And, uh, but started early on, and of course, Mother sings beautifully, and, and uh, the kids just kind of picked up on that, and the and, uh, Lord answered our prayers. That. And man, is it fun to serve together. And preacher, I will never. Man, I'm so careful getting around preachers who don't have all their grandbabies with them. Because uh, that could change in a moment. And every time they take another step, that just more solidifies the fact they're in that area. 
I'm all for it, man. Yeah, my boys, we think about starting a business, Dad. I said, that's a great idea, amen. We think about buying a home. That's even a gooder idea right there, amen. Get them all in there as close as we can. Hallelujah. We're going to be in the Song of Solomon tonight. We're closing down last week on uh, uh, the love week. And so tonight we're going to do a little bit on, on um, uh, our relationships one with another. I think it particularly about the marriage relationship. You know, there was a, um, and again, I'm not here to hurt anybody, but understand I'm a pastor, not an evangelist, okay? So when I preach, I only know how to preach as a pastor preaches, all right? So uh, I say that because I, I'll, I'll do different things, and I'm not in my own church, but that's the only way I know how to preach is like I'm preaching to my own people. And, uh, but I, I ran across a statistic uh, here about three or four years ago, and they said by the year 2025, cohabitating couples will outnumber married couples for the first time in the history of our country. Now listen to me, that's not a good idea. Uh, that's not a good idea. And again, I'm not here to offend anybody, but listen, God has ordained certain things that belong only within the bonds of marriage. That marriage bond, that means a responsibility that we have. There are certain privileges that are not to be allowed or to be exercised by those who are outside of a marriage bond. And I never could understand. I've got them in, uh, you know, good folks in my church. I preach the same thing to them. And we got some folks visiting and uh, uh, they're in a cohabitating uh, situation. It doesn't stop me. It doesn't phase me. It doesn't slow me down. Hey, if it's the word of God, then we ought to preach it, right? And we ought not to back off of it and afraid and fear of, uh, of uh, offending someone. We need to help people. I had people come, and I know preacher has over the years, all the years he's been here, and you'll preach on something, somebody get upset with the preacher and say, you was pointing out my sin, and he very well might have been. I might have been. But listen to me. Just because you're a drunk, are we supposed to never preach on being a drunk? Huh? Just because you were immoral, are we never to preach on immorality? Huh? Just because uh, you cohabitated, we're never to preach on that? Oh man, we to, we, if we did that, we'd never preach on anything. Uh, all we'd preach on is, is funsy, funsy stuff. And we don't need enough preaching on funsy stuff. We need to preach it on the Word of God. Something that's going to skin our stinking hide from time to time. That's good for us to get lit up. Amen? That's what the Bible says, doesn't it, in Hebrews? He said, hey, what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? He said, they chastened us after their own pleasure. We gave them reverence, didn't we? You remember when you got them whoopings you was growing up? Hey, whoopings did you good. They did you good. I don't think you ought to whoop anybody. That's what the last generation said, and now them dudes are in Congress. Somebody needs to get on in there and put a whooping on them, man. That's straighten them suckers out. That's what I'm thinking, hey, man. And, uh, oh, I remember that. We was talking about that the other night. And I was the youngest. And, uh, and um, I can remember vividly. I only, I only remember getting one whooping in my life. But that's all it took, because I was the youngest. We was jumping on the bed, all right? Now, why, why would God have allowed them to put springs in the bed if you weren't supposed to jump on them? Is that right? Can I just get right down brass tacks with you? It's kind of like, if God didn't want you to pick your nose, he wouldn't make your finger to fit. You guys weren't looking for sophistication tonight, were you? You're, you're, you are sadly disappointed tonight, amen? No. Oh, so we jumping on that bed, and mother, all five foot nothing of her, mother says, you boys stop jumping on that bed. We's like, okay, mother. Boom, boom, boom. You boys stop jumping on that bed. Okay, mother. Boom, boom. Then you hear, boys. You knew who that was. You boys come down here. Dad whooped us in the order of age. That wasn't a good idea because I was the youngest and he started with the oldest. By the time it came my time to get in front of the stairs, I thought, man, I ain't never doing that again as long as I can live. Amen. But uh, it's good for us to get a whooping from time to time. Helps us out, straightens us up. Gets, hey, in our relationships, we get mundane and complacent about our relationships, and we forget about the bride or the bridegroom that we so cherished. 
those days gone by, and we get so busy dealing with uh, issues of life that we have to stop and take a break and uh, get some time apart. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. I, I know we're in uh, mixed company. I'll be appropriate, but we are in the Song of Solomon, so it's the Word of God. Amen? All right? So, fellas, you might as well slide a little closer to your wife as we get into this thing, okay? Song of Solomon. We're going to be in the second chapter of the Song of Solomon. My wife and I have been together since the last day of our sophomore year of high school. That would have been the year 1978. Abraham Lincoln had just been shot back then. And, uh, the, uh, uh, that was our last day of our sophomore year of high school. And uh, I took a shine into her. And, uh, and I still got a shining for her. It'll be 40 years, May 29th of this year. And uh, I'm telling you, there's never been a, a woman like my wife. She is phenomenal, outstanding. She is the prototype for everybody else. You'll find out a little bit about that here in a little bit. And guys, while I'm saying that, you're supposed to be whispering to your wife, I think the same thing about you. Or you just kind of look at her, give her their goo-goo eyes. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about. And then, ladies, you kind of slide over a little closer, grab his arm, hug on him like he's Superman. Yeah. Uh-huh. Of course, you got to work your way around that belly fat a little bit to get around there. <laughs> it ain't quite all what it used to be, but hey, it's still there. It's still there. Yeah. 1974, years later, on May 29th, 1982, we were married. Been married now 36 years as of this coming May 29th. And uh, it has been, I wouldn't do it any other way, any other way. And uh, we were tw I was 20, she was 19 when we uh, got married. We started going together. We were six, I was 16, she was 15. And uh, don't get any ideas. And I let, hey, let me help you out with a, Right now we got some young people, teenagers in here saying, ooh, yeah, 16, 15. Now, hold on. Uh, we weren't Christians first off, amen. And there's a lot better way to go about doing that than the way we did it, amen. So don't go like, I tell a story every time I get on this subject that I, I was telling, uh, I was preaching uh, along this line one time by our church, and I was telling our young fellas, and I said, you can't be getting any of that uh, kissy face sugar bugger stuff until you get one of these on your hand. And they come up to me after church and says, where do we buy those, preacher? <laughs> I said, you guys, man, teenagers, they weren't even getting it nowhere. They just said, cut to the chase, man. All right, we're going to be in Song of Solomon, chapter 2. and We're just going to read the first eight verses. Song of Solomon, chapter 2. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon. All righty. Excuse my sniffling and you pray for my voice. You know, you, know, you don't know if your voice is not good or your ears are plugged up. You're not sure which way that thing goes. But uh, you pray for me as I preach. And nothing worse than trying to drive an eight-cylinder on six. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that you put the foot to the gas and just ain't responding. And uh, sometimes that's the way it feels right now in my throat. So I'm not whining. I'm just telling you. Well, yeah, I am whining. So just pray for the whiner. All right. I'd rather be a whiner than a wino. Amen. All right. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. As the lid. Now begin to listen to the, how they begin to respond one to another, talk one to another. As the lily among the thorns, so is my love among the daughters. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight. And his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Stay with those flagons, comfort me with apples, for I'm sick of love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that you stir not up, nor awake my love, till he please. The voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh, leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. Father, I ask for your help. Lord, 
I thank you for the wonderful, wonderful organism of marriage. Lord, truly only you could come up with something like that. And certainly our adversary, the devil, has been trying to destroy that foundational unit from the beginning of time. Father, we need to remember, we need to be revived in our attitude toward the institution of marriage. And those of us who have been so blessed, and not everybody's been chosen to be married, but Lord, for those of us who have, Father, I ask that you would help us to maintain our responsibilities, our relationships. Father, there's maintenance that goes along with the relationship. And for those who are here without a spouse, Yet, they are the bride of Christ, your Son, our Savior. Father, there's a responsibility here likewise. Father, I love you. Help me. I commit myself to thee. And God, I ask that you would control me by thy spirit. I do pray for our family back in Holland. I pray for Brother Doug as he's preaching tonight. God, you would empower him. Bless the church there, those folk. God, please help them. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, we're looking at a situation here again, knowing that it's, it's the, uh, the prince with his bride. It's the, the shepherd boy with his beloved. It is typical of Christ and his church. We understand that, that the marriage is an earthly metaphor for Christ and his church. I uh, can remember when we uh, first uh, uh, were born-again believers. I had gotten saved first. My wife would a couple of years later. And I remember one day in our apartment uh, at Han Air Base in 1987, and I'm there at the dining table and just reading the Word of God for my devotion time. I'd only been saved uh, just a couple of years. And I remember reading through the book of Ephesians. And as I read through the book of Ephesians, I ran across that well-rehearsed verse, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I was just beginning to learn my Bible and learn how to, to meditate on the things of God. And I thought when I read that verse, it shocked my system that I did not know how to love my wife. I knew how to lust after my wife, but I did not know how to love my wife. At that point, I began to consider my relationship with Christ. Christ being the bridegroom, myself as part of his bride. And I thought, how does Jesus take care of me? How does Jesus relate to his bride? And as I mused and meditated on that, it gave me ideas on how to love my bride. God loves me. The Lord Jesus Christ loves me with a perfect love. So therefore, if I muse on the way he loves me and I take that vertical truth and apply it to a horizontal relationship, then I will learn how to love my wife. One of the things I remember early on that came to mind is that Jesus always surprises me. Huh? Doesn't he? Isn't that the way it is? Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. He's always doing something that surprises us. I remember one time, just in God's provisional love, and I, I was, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe I told the story here or not, I don't remember, but, but I, I was in need of a, of, a, of a quarter. Did I tell you that story before? I was in need of a quarter, not 25 cents, but a quarter. I was on my way to preach a meeting. It's sort of about been back in 1999, probably, maybe the year 2000. I was going down to preach a, uh, a tent meeting uh, down south of Allegan. And I had a low tire on my Woodside Plymouth Grand Voyager. Man, that was a stud car right there, buddy. Minivan. Woodside minivan. How my teenage kids were ever ashamed of that vehicle, I'll never understand it. I had a low tire. 
I thought, well, we'll whip in here at the Marathon Station. It's just a little bit after 6 o'clock. We'll get her aired up, get on the way, have no problem. Be there plenty of time. So I pulled into that Marathon Station about three minutes after 6. What time do you suppose they close? 6 o'clock. They had an air pump right outside. That air pump took a quarter. I had 25 cents. I had two dimes and a nickel. But that wouldn't do me no good at all. So I went over to the door. I rapped on the door. I, had, I looked in there, and there's just sitting in there laughing, cutting up, closing up the cash register. I was like, hey! And I said, I just need a quarter. And said, we're closed, closed. I said, I just need a quarter. We're closed. Man. So now I'm in the spirit. You understand what I'm saying? It wasn't the Holy Spirit, but I was in the spirit. So now I go back to my truck or my, my minivan and I'm frustrated. I'm like, I'm all ready to preach, amen, the love of Jesus. Open up my door and I put her at my, my two sideways to sit down in my minivan and I sit down in that seat and before I swung my feet around, I looked down and what's right between my feet on the ground? A quarter. I got to sit here and bask in that for just a moment. Every time I tell that story, it just wells up in me, the love of God. And I can see that my bridegroom saying to one of his angels, what am I overlooking? Say, hey, take this cord, flip that thing down. Go put that, put that down right between his feet and see what happens. And I think I got there, and I opened up that door, and that little angel's right behind me, drops it right on the ground. I turn around, I look down. Woo, glory to God, hallelujah, I got a quarter. You couldn't have given me a million dollars that made me happier because I needed a quarter. A quarter. That's all it took. But my bridegroom knew what his bride needed and he surprised me with his provision. So therefore, you and I, fellas, need to learn how to surprise our bride. And by the way, there's no age limit on that thing. Hmm? Hmm? Look at verse number one. We're talking about how to have, and I don't mean a physically intimate, though that will be part. I'm talking about an intimate relationship with your spouse. Uh, right there, let me, let me show you what I mean by that. Just keep right there in chapter two. But if you look back across the page, at least that's the way it's set up in my Bible. <coughs> Excuse me. Look at verse number one of chapter one. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. That means of over the thousand different songs that Solomon had written, this is the apex of all of them. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Look what he says. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. You see, right away, it establishes the theme that's going to carry through for the remaining chapters or the remaining stanzas of this song. And he's told me, he says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. He's not talking about the kiss of a Judas Iscariot or the kiss of a, uh, a greet one another with a holy kiss. He's not talking about that. He's talking about a passionate, intimate kiss, a kiss that belongs only to those who want the most intimate of relationships with another and that's what, he, that's what encourages us here. It's for those who want an intimate relationship with Christ. And what I'm getting ready to share with you in the next few minutes, it will mean nothing to those who are uninterested in an intimate relationship with the one that loves them so. But he says there, for thy love is better than wine. Wine, the fruit of the vine, was the beverage of victory. But what he says here is that my, my desire, my, my desire for an intimate relationship with the one who loves me so is better than victory. Meaning this, it doesn't matter if I win or if I lose in life, I'm going to have that relationship with the one who loves me so. That's what we're looking for, isn't it? Don't you want to have a happy marriage? A joyful marriage? When the, there's no, you don't have that stress in the home and that arguing and bickering and hollering at one another. You don't have any of that. You don't have to put on a face when you come to church. Huh? You don't argue and fight and yell at one another until you get out of the door out here in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. 
You want a peaceful time, a joyful time in the house. Hey, if there's strife, there ain't no fun in a house full of strife. Well, look at verse number one of chapter two. We'll do the first two verses together. I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. As the lily among thorns. Now let's start honing in here. The bridegroom is saying of his bride, as the lily among the thorns, so is my love among the daughters. You see what he's doing? He's comparing his bride to all the other women around. And what's he say? He says, when I look at her, all those other women are a bunch of thorns. But mine is the lily among the thorns. Taking note of the specialist, having eyes only for his bride. We need to make sure, fellas, we understand the specialist. You remember the day when that little girl caught your eye? When that young lady caught your eye? Or that middle-aged lady caught your eye, depending on when you got married? You remember when that was. And all of a sudden, whoo! Ain't nobody like her. Son. And you couldn't even think about nothing else. You tried to go to work. All you can think about with her, you may have been in college or something, all you can think about is her. You couldn't wait to get on the phone and breathe in her ear. You know what I'm talking about. You didn't have to say nothing. You just got on. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. What you doing? Nothing. What are you doing? Nothing. <sighs> How are you today? I'm fine. You, you carried on no conversation for two and a half hours. Yeah. It's been good talking with you. <laughs> yeah, all right. You know what that was about. Come on now. Huh? Hey, there's something special. When you've got that desire, that love, that passion, man, don't lose that. Right. Fellas, I challenge you this week, just call your wife up and breathe to her over the phone. She'll probably have you arrested. Don't trace your call. <laughs> Somebody's calling me. <laughs> but he points her out. Acknowledge your spouse's worth to you. I remember when I was putting this message together, I got to the, considering my wife, and, and uh, how she is such an integral part of not just my life, but my calling. In May 15, 1989, there was an evangelist named Doug Martin. Doug Martin had preached a message. It's probably Mays Jackson's message because he preached all of Mays Jackson's messages. And he came over and he preached on the widow at Zarephath. And, uh, and it was time to move on, I should say, to Zarephath. And he'd been at the brook, and it's time to move on to Zarephath. And he had preached that message, and it got a hold of my heart. He said, is this your uh, Christian life? You're up one minute and down the next, and up one minute and down the next. Isn't it time that you move on to Zarephath? And I, that means accept God's calling in your life. And I did it, and I was excited, certainly about that. I'd finally fully surrendered to the Lord. And when told my preacher, and he said, hey, uh, well, what's Sue think? And I thought, oh, my word, I forgot to tell her. She was working the nursery. So I went back, and I put her in that, uh, took her in the room right next to the nursery. I said, honey, i got to tell you something. I said, God's worked on my heart, and, and I've surrendered to go full-time service, whatever he wants me to do. She says, honey, I'm so thrilled for you. Wherever you go, I go. I thank God I married a woman like that. How many guys would do something for God? They were married to the right woman. Oh. You see, God didn't call her. I, I know I hear people say, well, God calls you, God calls your wife. I don't see it that way. But her job was line, to line up with me. And she says, I'm your wife no matter what you do. And so we got into the ministry together. I thought about my wife. The church expects her to act a certain way. Sister Brown could testify to that. My wife was a mother, 
And the church members expect certain conduct from our children that they don't expect from anybody else's. We homeschooled. I should say she homeschooled. She was the face of our church. People pass judgment on our church by what they see in our pastor and his wife and his children. She's a Sunday school teacher, soul winning every Saturday, visitation when pastor needs her, hospital visits at the spur of a moment, emergency counseling, counseling with the ladies of our church, counseling with teen young ladies, attending all the functions, secretarial work, helping me work on church vehicles. Fill in pianos, special music, entertaining in the home, opening the home to all church members when they had need, cleaning the church when necessary, entertaining other pastors and their families, entertaining missionaries and their families. She used to work again many Sundays in the rest home with me. We would get home from church and immediately we'd have about, well, we'd have about 45 minutes and we had to be at the nursing home. We'd go to the nursing home for an hour and a half. Then we had about a half hour before we had to be back at church for choir practice. Every Sunday, she'd attend the missions with us, Mel Trotter and the Holland Family Shelter. She would oversee the planning and decorating for banquets and bulletin boards. These are all the things that a pastor's wife does, and then more. I thank God for my wife, and I don't mind saying that publicly. When I look at the rest of you folks, I thought, God bless you men. You came in second, but that's not all bad. Because I won, and you think the same way about your spouse. I won the prize. Your wife walks into the church house, you're like, that's mine. Whoop! Yeah, that's mine. Sneak a little sugar booger in the hallway. That's all right. Greet one of a holy kiss we talked about a while ago. Yeah. Plus, it builds security in the young ones around you when they see a husband and a wife that love each other. I had a sad testimony of our teenagers about 15 years ago. We was talking to them, trying to train them on how to go about courting and, and doing things in a God-honoring way and, and keeping your hands to yourself and, and keeping your hands to yourself and keeping your hands to yourself and keeping your hands to yourself and those kind of things. And, and, uh, and so I tried to teach him. And I said, just find uh, uh, one of our families in church that you would want to emulate. And they said, we don't know what we have any preacher. I thought, how sad is that? That a teenager or a young person or a, uh, a young single person in their 20s or even in their 30s can't find a family in church that they'd want to have a marriage like theirs. How sad is that? Man, let's not have marriages like that. Let's have them that was so warming and so welcoming that the next generation wants to have a relationship like yours. Your children want to have a relationship like you and mama or you and daddy have. It's responsibilities like that that require us to find time to get away. He says again, she's a lily among the thorns. So he always sees the best in his spouse. Always seeing the best. She's not your cook or your housemaid. She's your bride. Make sure to see the wonderful things that she does. Even when she comes up a little short with the cake that she makes for you. My wife's all right. I clear this before I say it. In fact, I won't tell the cake story. I'll tell the apple pie story. Now, let's do it. My wife, and this, hey, God is my witness. She makes the best apple pie that's ever been made, ever in the history of the world. My wife makes the best apple pie. Well, she knows it's my favorite. And so one night she stayed up super late through the night and made me this apple pie. So I wake up next morning about 6 o'clock and I smell the apple pie smell in the house. Woo, for breakfast. <laughs> Son, man, that's living right there. Yeah, buddy. It does. So I said, she goes, would you like a slice of apple pie with your coffee? <laughs> Would I? Woo! 
So she cut me that was good. Man, that crust was golden brown, a little sugar dribbled on it, some cinnamon around the edge. Oh, son! And she puts it down in front of me. I take a little sip of my coffee. I pray and thank God for it. Man, I tap into it. I go, mm. <laughs> And she's over at the sink. She's watching. She's all excited. She's happy. She's making her man happy. <laughs> she said, and I thought, well, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's my toothpaste made it taste a little sour or something. Take another cup of coffee, a little drink of coffee, cut me another piece. She says, Honey, how you like your pie? Well, that's kind of like one of those questions like, do I look good in this dress? <laughs> Ain't no answer for that. You start coughing, you choke up, you run into the bathroom, I'll be right back. <laughs> you stay in there until it's time to go to church. I said, well, honey, there's something a little wrong with it. What? No, What? So, honey, I don't know, baby, but it's just something not right. You've got to be kidding me. I said, no, honey, I'm not kidding. It's not good. And, she, and so she took a bite. She goes, oh, I think I put salt in there instead of sugar. <laughs> we got a dog in our house. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I put that. Down on the floor. That dog comes over. <laughs> I, said, I said, baby, the dog ain't even eating that stuff. <laughs> but hey, God bless her for making that effort to show her love for her husband. She truly is the lily among the thorns of specialness. Consider what made them so special. Remember the little details, gentlemen, of her countenance? You would notice every part of her being, the way she talked to people, the way she interacted with her parents or, or her friends, the way she conducted herself in public, and you just watched everything, and you so admired the way she was. She's still the same girl. Let's remember that. Age creeps on. Love's never affected by age. Do you know that? You married her for a reason. Don't forget the reason. Look at verse number three. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight. I love that phrase. And his fruit was sweet to my taste. You see, not only did he have eyes only for her, but she for him. It was a mutual admiration in the relationship. Now, I know it didn't take long, ladies, for you to find out your knight in shining armor had some kinks. When our youngest one was, was coming along, uh, Hannah, in fact, Sister Brown, where's Sister Brown? She said, make sure to tell Miss Brown I said hi. And uh, in fact, I think you spoke at her bridal shower or something. Is that right? And uh, I said, well, yeah, Sister Brown was asking after you today, Hannah. And, uh, but when Hannah and Doug were courting, it was disgusting. <laughs> I mean, and we got, I mean, they couldn't touch. They couldn't be alone together through all that courting time that he could not email her or text message her. And he said, he said is, is that right, Mr. Spencer, or Pastor? That said, absolutely, it's right. And I said, here's the reason why. I said, I want that to be something special to her. And I said, if my daughter's not special enough for you to make the effort to organize your thoughts, to sit down, get some paper, get a pen, get a stamp, put it in an envelope, if she's not that special, and special enough for you to do that, then she's not bride material for you. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's okay. So she and every time she'd get that letter in the mail, it was like a, like Christmas. And she'd call me because I had to read every letter. You say, man, you're like a tyrant. No, I'm protecting my little girl's heart. Huh? And so I'd read, and there's only one time it happened, Romeo got a little in the heat of the battle. <laughs> so I had to circle a few things and return the sender, buddy. 
Right then, I got about half of you heathens singing a song, don't I? We'll leave that alone. All you old people got returned to cinder. That reminds me of a hymn. <laughs> and so he was always Mr. Perfect. They couldn't use the word love until they were engaged. So they very, very strongly admire you. <laughs> That's what they would say. I really, 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 really admire you. I strongly admire you. <laughs> it's cute to listen to it. But she called him Mr. Perfect. Gag me. <laughs> All right? Oh, but Dad, he's perfect. I said, baby, he's not. Baby, come on. Mr. Perfect. We heard that so many times. We owned a sub shop called Blimpy. It's kind of like a subway. And, we that, and there are pictures up there, Mr. Perfect. 119 days before Mr. Perfect comes home from college. Mr. Perfect. I said, I, I said, made a remark the other day. It's been four years, four and a half years since I got married. I said, you know what I don't hear anymore, Doug? Mr. Perfect. <laughs> I ain't hear it. It didn't take long for that to go out the window, amen. Ain't so Mr. Perfect anymore. Hey, ladies, we understand. But let that never get in the way of expressing your love for him. The specialness. She compared him with others, says, as the apple tree. That's a tree of provision. An apple tree among the trees of the wood. So is my beloved among the sons. Have eyes for your man, ladies. For he is your man. Praise his provision and protection. Be satisfied with what he provides. And fellas, do your dead level best to provide for your loved one. Man, I'll tell you what. Whoo. Listen, man, I'm going to get in trouble. But listen, I, I'm, let me just say that. Let me preface it with this. I'm old-fashioned. Okay? So what I'm fixing to say, if I offend you, just say, ah, he's old fuddy-duddy. But this whole idea, man, I better not. Yeah, I will anyway. It'll be a long time, maybe never forever come back anyway. <laughs> this whole concept of men not taking care of their families, okay? I understand things get tough. I can appreciate that. But this whole thing of sending the wife out to work and you be a stay-at-home dad, I have a problem with that. You know, God sent up. We're the ones that are supposed to go out and kill something. Amen? And we bring it home. Uh, the Bible says a wife's to be a keeper at home. That doesn't mean she can't go out and get involved like the Proverbs 31 woman. She considered a field. She bought it. She was involved in real estate. But she never, to the detriment of her family, she made sure she took care of her husband, took care of her children first, and then if there was time left over, she could get involved in going to the markets and buying and selling things. But this whole concept, you know, I, I, let me get uh, super serious here for just a second. That whole tragedy down in Florida, in Parkland, last week, right away they're marching and protesting wanting stronger gun laws. That's not the answer. I just got into a discussion at the VA clinic the other day with a guy on this very same subject. That's not the answer. But let me tell you something, and people make fun of me about this. Hey, but you get them kids out of the house and make them work? Get them away from those video games? Huh? Yeah, you get away from that. We're, we're killing everybody and, and even doing sexually immoral things on the video game. And you're going to throw your kids in there so those video games can raise your children. And then you wonder what goes wrong. Well, that's an oversimplification. I don't think so. It desensitizes them. They can pick up a gun on a video game and march down a school and start blowing people away, and they relate that as reality. And so it's nothing for them to do the same thing in life. So why don't we go back to making the kids work? I like why old Lester Olaf said, I was hyperactive as a child. My dad made sure, but I was up at 4 o'clock in the morning, didn't go to bed until we was plum tuckered out. My dad made sure I was hyperly active all day long. That'd be good for us. Hey, listen to me, fellas, you young fellas. Snow coming down is money from heaven. Get your shovel. Starts going, shovel? 
Are you kidding me? That's work. You know what's fixing to happen? In about six, eight weeks, grass is going to start growing. Get out there, start mowing some lawns. People do what's called spring cleaning. You walk up to a house with a couple of rolls of, uh, of uh, paper towels and some Windex, and you say, would it be all right if I cleaned your windows? What? Uh, uh, sure. That'd be great. Man, you go around a, an average size house, you can clean them windows in less than a half hour, and you can make you $40. That's not bad. That'd be about $65 an hour. That's pretty good money. And while you're there, they might, they might have a ladder. You get them and clean their gutters. Sure. Make a little money. Keep you off the video games. I still haven't figured out why a teenager needs a cell phone. Man, well, I'm already hoeing the row, man. Just drop it in, man. I told you, I only know how to preach as a pastor. Man. What do they need a video game for or a phone for? That gets them in far too much trouble. Way too much access the things they ought not to have. In fact, I don't know what any of us need them for that matter. Go back to flip phones and pagers. Hallelujah. Yeah, well. Praise is provision and protection. Well, young lady in our church, I told them that they don't marry. I said, you, you kids, I said, if it's God's will, it'll be God's will a year from now. They had met one time, long distance relationship, he had come one time, then the second time he came, he asked her to marry him. I said, don't do it. I said, oh, preacher, you don't understand. I'm just telling you, you're not ready. He bought her an engagement ring. You know what she did with that engagement ring? Took it back and got a bigger one. Now, I don't know much, and I may have been bored at night, but it wasn't last night. That thing was doomed from the start. And now five years later, they're divorced. He's looking at prison time and they have kids involved simply because lusting after someone. Be satisfied with the provision of your husband. Don't make him feel less than somebody else. Well, they got a new car. Yeah, they also got the debt to go with it. Debt-free living. Let me say that right. Can I use a cuss word in the pulpit? It's called budget. Every time I mention it, our whole church, we got a bunch of young families in our church. They go, oh, you can't talk like that. Are you telling me that we can only spend the money we make? It's a novel concept, man. They've been watching Congress. Let's do some deficit spending. Doesn't that sound all professional and everything? Huh? You look it up. Deficit spending, definition, stupid. It says it right there. You don't have the money, you don't spend the money. Spend time, though. You'll notice she says there in verse number 3, under his shadow with great delight. What's that tell us? It tells us she was being physically close to him. Spend time physically close to your husband. Every time I get into this thought, I, my mind immediately, I, not even in my nose, but I'm sitting there thinking about it. Bucket seats. You guys are in Motown the automobile capital of the world. So it was here that the devil started his evil plan of bucket seats. It was here. You guys are in ground zero of the destruction of the two-driver car. Remember when them pickup trucks needed two people to drive it? Huh? Remember when it took two people to drive it? You said, no truck ever took two people to drive it. Well, it had to because they were always sitting right next to each other. You just assume that it must took two. But boy, did you feel like something with that girl sitting right next beside you. Ooh, you acted all tough and everything. Put your hand out the window. She's like, <laughs> bench seats were a blessing from God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're driving down. You got your bride right beside you. like, <laughs> And so you put your arm around her, right? And you're driving, and she says, oh, honey, you, you ought to use both hands. And he says, yes, I know, but I have to drive. <laughs> it's 
Dude, man. You guys are slow. You know what? You didn't get in on this thing, man. That was like a wave that started. Oh. And half you fellas, I saw your wife going, do you get it? Come on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Remember when Dr. House talked about him, his house? He said every once in a while, he said at least once a week, we'd go down to McDonald's and we'd buy us some hamburgers and we'd go to the park and let them get cold. <laughs> Come on, these are thought-provoking. <laughs> Brother Brown, I, did, I, I told that story in my church. I got so many young people that go, well, who wants to eat a cold hamburger? <laughs> Dude, you guys are hopeless, man. Hopeless. What else are you going to be doing? You buy a hamburger, why don't you eat it? They're Dutch, man. They're like, hey, don't waste that money. Ain't that right, man, Deucin? They're like, hey, man, don't be wasting that money. Something's more important than a hot hamburger, man. Enjoy the time you spend with one another. When you sit on the couch, don't let him sit alone. Snuggle up next to him. He's your man, and you'll make him feel like it, too. Just enjoy one another's company. She's in the kitchen working, taking care of things, maybe whipping up something or doing the dishes or whatever she happened to be doing in there. Fellas, get out of that chair and slide on in there. Give her a little sugar booger on her neck. It'll make that meal taste a whole lot better. Uh-huh. We all right? This is a good message. Hey, man, remember I said this morning, the good, or while of all the gooder messages, this is one of them gooder ones, man. This will help you. I'll cut it short here in a second. I understand. Get this thing over with, preacher. Verse number four, he brought me to the banqueting house. And his banner over me was love. When I was musing on this text, God is my witness, your pastor and his wife came to my mind. As I'm meditating on this, I'm thinking, Lord, what do I see here in this? And he brought Stephen Pam Brown to my heart. Those people so enjoy spending time together. It seems like every time I call them, they don't travel again five miles away from anywhere. But they're always in some, he took this to some neat little place for coffee or something here a couple years ago. I said, how do you find these places? Oh, Pam and I just go out and we just, I just enjoy spending time with my wife. Man, that's the kind of pastor and missus that you need. What an example they are for you folks. What a thrill it is to have an example of a man and a woman that intently Intensely love each other. What a blessing that is. Go up in the office and see pictures of the family all around. And we wasn't sitting down at the restaurant today 37 and a half seconds before Sister Pam getting the pictures out. Oh, look, did you see the picture of the family? Oh, look. Oh, that's nice. She goes, no, really, look. Look, look at that, man. <laughs> it really wasn't that way, but, uh, but I understood. So proud. The fruit of their union. What a blessing those two folk are. And it'd be good for us to learn how. Those of you who aren't married, but you're sweet on somebody, that's a great example to look at. You want to find out how to have a successful, godly relationship. Spend time with the pastor and the missus and learn from them. Take time to attend special places together. He took her to the banqueting house. But be spontaneous as to the places you visit. Have that special place, but be willing to branch out, fellas. And you think outside the box. And we guys sometimes are a little bit challenged at thinking about romantic stuff. But think about that. I was driving one day down 7th Avenue in, uh, coming home, actually, from work one day. And uh, I passed the Lemire Building, L-U-M-I-R, Lemire Building. I turned north uh, onto uh, River going across, heading over toward the house. And I happened to look over at the Lemire building, and on the fourth floor of the Lemire building, I saw a railing. Around. There was a, they just remodeled the building and all. I saw a railing up there, and I thought, oh, they've got a patio up there. 
So I turned the corner. I went back around, came back around, went over, and it's a, it's a we ain't going to let you in unless we know who you are building. And so, bzzz, hello, yes. I said, yeah, Pastor Spencer, I need to talk to somebody on the fourth floor. About what? About your patio. They said, what? About your patio. Just let me in. I'll explain to it. All right. I get on the elevator, go up, step off the elevator. It's a whole floor of engineers, right? And engineers are kind of freaks anyway. Do I have any in here? You know what I'm talking about, amen? And so they all got this big old thing, pallet in front of them, and they're drawing stuff and digitizing stuff. And I said, hey, I said, when I noticed you got that uh, patio out there, uh, what would it take for a guy to uh, use that thing? What? What are you talking about? I said, here, I'm going to do something special for my wife, and I'd like to use your patio. He said, seriously. I said, seriously. I'm serious. But I need you guys to be gone. <laughs> for real. Mm-hmm. I said, so what time do you guys leave? He said, we usually leave between 5, 5.30. I said, I'd like to use it about 6.30 or 7 then. When? I told him when. I said, but I'll have to need the, I'll need the code to get into the building. He's trusting everything to me. He don't even know me from Adam's house cat. And he says, well, all right. And so, uh, so I, I, he gave me the code, and, and then I got a hold of the kids, and the kids were going to set everything up real pretty. And, and I went, and I, I got her some, some pearls is actually what I got her. I got her a little pearl set. And, and so I was, and not a, not a super expensive. I think I paid fifteen or 20000 for it, something like that. Not a lot. Yeah, if you believe that, man. Come on now. I live in Holland. I paid $7.98 for that. And, uh, and, uh, but it's not the amount. It's the act. You understand what I'm saying? And, uh, and so uh, they get that, they're going to get up there. They're going to doctor it all up. They're going to have one table. And you looked over the lake right there. It was just beautiful. And, um, and now, unfortunately, we got rained out. So we had to go a different route. But it was still, it worked out beautifully, though, as far as the night together, spending time together. She got her pearls in one spot. I think I gave her her necklace. We were talking about that the other day. I think I gave her her necklace first at, a, at the city park, not far from our thing. We pulled up in the city park, and it was drizzling a little bit, so we'd sit in the car and loved on each other a little bit and, and uh, shared our love one for another, and then I gave her a gift of her necklace. Then we went to another place. I think it was a restaurant or maybe or something, and I gave her earrings, pearl earrings to match it. And Then we got to the hotel room, and the kids, whatever they were doing up on top of the roof, they did it in our hotel room. So we go in, here's this table in the suite. And, uh, and they had a big bouquet of roses on the table. And I told them what I wanted them to do. I wanted them to take that ring and put it on a stem of roses and put it in the, in the middle of the table. Right? And so, man, we're just enjoying one another and having a beautiful meal there and just out of loving on each other. And she hasn't noticed the ring. So I'm trying to like, Without being obvious. I said, boy, those are beautiful flowers, aren't they, honey? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I said, man, look at that. Man, that one has bloomed out so pretty. It looks so nice. Man. Mm -hmm, it really does look pretty. Look at that rose, will you? <laughs> I didn't quite come off that way, but she finally saw it. And, there it was. and we just had such a special time together. Fellas, think outside the box. Find something that works for your wife. Maybe she likes to go hunting. Shine her gun up for her or something. Amen? <laughs> you know? Spend a little time in the deer stand and let the buck walk by. Amen? That'd be all right. At a special place. Think of the special places that you can spend time together. She says in verse 5, stay me with flagons. Flagons are vessels that hold precious items. And she, again, we look at the fact that she was cared for. She had a home. Listen, you can never even consider single folks, single men. You can't consider taking a bride until you can provide a home for her. That's reality. You see, Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. Our bridegroom has prepared a place for us. So you can't go bringing a, a bride into your life until you can provide for her, okay? Uh, yeah, you ain't going far on love. Banks don't take love. Okay? 
You got to be able to provide for your spouse. And so you got to get a home for her to come to. You know, I chuckle right now because I'm getting ready to make a statement. I'm thinking, well, it doesn't really apply to my family. Because I'm thinking that when you get married, you don't live in your parents' basement. <laughs> right now, our oldest son lives with his wife and four daughters and one on the way in our basement. It's not because he's not a hard worker and a good provider, but he has demolished their house with an addition tore the roof. Right now, it has no roof on it. They tore, tore all the trusses off. They got new trusses coming on tomorrow, so there's nothing there, so they're living in our basement. But that's the exception, all right? You don't marry a bride and bring her to your parents' house. Sometimes I understand there's need for that. But you have to be able to provide for that woman. All righty? You got, so if you're thinking, well, I got this girl. I think she's really special. What kind of job you got? How much money are you putting back? Because you got to provide. You know, communication, physical relationships, and finances are the three things I counsel with. Most preacher probably they would agree with that. You want, you want to put stress in your marriage relationship? Have some struggles financially. Don't live on a budget. Get a credit card. You want to have problems. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. Again, we find the need to be physically affectionate. Physically affectionate. That goes both ways. He doesn't have to be the initiator. You can. Go up and just grab his neck and hug on him. Surprise him. Say, come here, big boy, come here. He's like, what's the matter with you, woman? It's all right. It's all right. Let him know you love him. You know how special that makes you feel when he just grabs you and plants one on you? And all the kids are like, ew, gross, sick. Oh, you guys are disgusting. And you're thinking, you wouldn't have got here if it wasn't for this. Now, see, only married couple know what I'm talking about, so I'm safe saying those things. It's like code speak for married people. Be physically affectionate. and Make sure you spend time together apart. Ladies, those of you who have little ones in the house, please don't forget that you didn't marry your children. You didn't marry them. Thank God for children. Man, we love our kids, our grandbabies. But you didn't marry them. So you got to make sure that you meet your responsibilities. And fellas, help them out. But you've got to meet your responsibilities as a bride. And your responsibility is to that husband. Uh, the kids didn't come first. Hmm? The wife come. The husband come. You married them. So you find here that they're telling, giving us, God's giving us these principles that we need to spend time together. Physically apart from others. There's danger points for our marriages. And it's been said the first five years are, for the most part, generally good years. Five to 25 are the most dangerous and difficult. And it just so happens those are the times spent raising your children. Be aware of the danger points of marriage. Make sure that she has time alone. We'll close with this. I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love, till he please. You see here that she's guarding his downtime. We all need time to wind down. Fellas, you come home from work and you've been battling the devil all day and you think, woo, man, man, that was difficult, man. What a word I... And you got to remember that she's been battling a day too. You see, not only do you have an adversary, but she does too. And she hasn't had, if she got little ones in the house, you can only listen to Goo Goo Gaga so much. You know, if she starts talking to you like, oh, honey, come here. You know, it's time for her to have some alone time. Some downtime. And, and, and the same thing, when they have that away time, that downtime, make sure to protect that. 
Phone rings, unless it's an emergency. They don't need to talk to him. They don't need to talk to her. Uh, ladies, everybody's got a cell phone. Give it to your husband. Let him turn it off. And you just go. You know, there was a time that when you left the house, there was no way to get hold of you. Did you know that? There was a day in America way back 20 years ago. You'd go to the store, and they couldn't talk to you till you got back from the store. Wow, what a concept. So if you can pry away from your social media, you'll go through a little bit of DTs for a while. Delirium tremors, you know, like a, a drunk does when they're shaking or the drug. You'll do a little bit of that when you can't get to Facebook. And we ain't going to get on Facebook because there ain't enough hours in the day for me to talk about Facebook. And uh, so we're going to get away from that. And just spend some time. Ladies need that away. Gentlemen need that. Make sure to guard that time. We're taught about that principle right here in the Word of God. I've given you some things. I'm not, I'd love to go on, but I'm not going to. Uh, but I want to encourage you. You see, if we don't have strong families, we're not going to have strong churches. If we go on with this idea of cohabitating, again, I want to be appropriate, but listen to me. Ladies, ladies if you've got a guy that's not willing to commit, commit, don't be surprised when you get disappointed. Hey, you save yourself that one God has for you. You say, well, it's too late. Well, then you start today saving yourself for the one God has for you. Well, I think God wants it. Does he? Does God want that one for your life? Then that, if that's the case, then you need to get some godly counsel and find out how you need to conduct yourself. You don't get to go off on your own and if it feels good, do it. You don't get a chance to do that. If you want a godly relationship Man, friend, look on the other side of the valley. Look down the road a little bit. Understand what you're doing right now has consequences down the road. Now think about that. And ladies, if there's a fellow that's not going to commit to you, I mean, put it on the line. I mean, put one of these things on there. Sign his name and say, I do. That ain't the guy for you. If he's trying to be all kissy face and everything and huggy bear on you and you ain't married, say, oh, no, we're not doing that until I get married. Oh, how old-fashioned is that? Is it now? Is it? Man, I could go on with that kind of stuff. But I want to encourage you. We need godly homes. Godly homes. Filled with holiness and purity. We are starving for a revival of holiness. 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 And we can do that by taking these principles from the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, and employing them in our life. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. That invitation, that'd be a great time. If you, if you can't come and kneel down here, it'd be a great time. Just take your bride or, or your husband, uh, and you have, kind of wrap your arms around one another, and spend some time in prayer. Say, Lord, help us. Maybe you have a wonderful marriage, and your marriage is healthy right now. Thank God for that. But realize you have an adversary that wants to destroy your marriage. So, Father, we're strong right now, but that doesn't mean tomorrow will be the same way. God, we need you to help us. Help us to recognize our adversary. God, help us to learn how to love one another more and in a boy of purity. Let's stand together. Standing together.